Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. To discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. The first words of the Lord Jesus as he was being crucified were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Lord was not offering forgiveness. He was praying that those involved in his death might come to experience forgiveness. For this, their ignorance had to be removed. They must see their sin and what they were doing and who he was. Now, Christ did not have to die in the way that he died, and with the incidents as they were at his death in order to have paid for our sins. He died as he did, in part, to open the eyes of understanding for those participating in his crucifixion and looking upon it as to what their part was in his death and who he was. The darkness that came over the land told them that God was bringing Christ into judgment in that moment. He was bearing God's wrath against sin. And as he was on the cross, the Lord Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Upon hearing those words, those surrounding the cross twisted them to make a jest out of them. He's crying to Elijah to rescue him. Let's see if Elijah answers. But they knew better. They knew what he was saying. And his words rung a note of conviction in them, and their joking was an attempt to push back the pangs of conscience. God, in Jesus, was working to remove their ignorance so that they could know what they were doing. In our broadcast today, we'll pull back the tape from our last broadcast and begin weighing the effects of those words on the individuals listening to them, and what those words also revealed about our suffering Savior. Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. It's taken from Psalm 22. We read it as our scripture reading. When we read our, our Bibles and we have our scripture reading, we stand up and we say, you know, our scripture reading is going to be taken from Psalm 23. So, and everybody turns to Psalm 23. Well, they didn't, they didn't have numbers lining up what Psalm they were going to be reading. They would say, and they had heard it before in their synagogues. Our reading today is taken from the Lord is my shepherd. And they would read the first line in the song. And the person, well, I know where to find that. And not only that, they'd heard it enough, they probably knew what the psalm was. They began to quote it out to themselves. They'd heard this before. Our reading this morning will be taken from the psalm, will be taken from Eli Eli, Lama Sabachthani. It's the name of a psalm. A psalm that they knew and that they'd heard and that they understood. It's a psalm of David. It's a psalm that actually had informed in their minds a certain idea of its meaning. I think what we can understand from the rabbinics is that in their minds, this was a personification. This was a psalm that personified an individual's profound suffering as he goes through a physical suffering and public humiliation and death. But then in the end of the psalm, he comes out triumphant. And that's the flow of the psalm. And in the minds of the Jews, this was a personification of the nation of Israel's own suffering. They had been put into suffering in Babylon, and there they had suffered and had been humiliated and brought into death, seemingly separated from the place of God's worship, and yet God had heard their cry and He'd restored them, and here they are now on this occasion in the temple, the place where they give praise and worship to God, and they're thinking, this is a psalm, this is a 
personification of the nation of Israel. This is a, a psalm of God bringing us in destruction and judgment, and, but then taking us out and delivering us and bringing us into triumph. Listen what the individual speaking in the Psalm 22 says. After he comes through the horrors of death, he says, at the end of it, I will, after all is declared of his suffering, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly, and I will pay my vows before those who fear you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over all the nations. And so they knew the song. They had suffered as a people, and they had come back as a nation to the temple to worship God. It was about them. It was about them. Or so they thought, until the Lord Jesus utters these words at the cross. And now, in that moment, at the end of three hours of dark judgment upon sin, Jesus makes Psalm 22 all about himself. The psalm must now be understood. It was a prophecy about him. The words he spoke of that first line would have sparked many of those individuals to fall out the whole song before themselves. I don't know if you have this happen to you, but somebody mentions a song and you know it and it's beckoned from your youth. Your mind begins to trace through all those words and you can repeat them and you can sing them and the melody comes to you and that's what would have happened for many at that moment. The very moment at which those words were spoken, their minds would have begun to retrace that song, would have gone through their minds and their hearts and they would have been repeating it and stating it and even if they had a hard time at bringing the words to recollection because of the trauma of that hour and that moment when they returned to their homes that cloudy recollection of those words would have been brought back to them and they would have searched out their scriptures to remind themselves of what it was what was that psalm about and what were those words and as they read those words they would have seen that everything that was stated at the beginning of that psalm was like a subheading to everything they had just witnessed a description of everything they just witnessed. Let me read you some of the words from that psalm again. Think about it. If it's playing through your mind as he's on the cross, because he's just said it. In the middle of the mocking that's taking place still. Oh, he's calling out to Elijah. Don't give him any water. Let's see if Elijah will come and rescue him. And the soldier says, well, let's see if Elijah will rescue him as he gives the water to him. Playing the game, carrying on their theatrics and their show. But now, for some, the words begin winding through their minds. Or they leave that place after what will transpire from here on out, and the words will begin to wind through their minds as God is pulling back the ignorance and revealing to them what has taken place. The words of the psalm are, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day and you don't answer, and by night, in the night, but I find no rest. Verse 6, I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Verse 12, be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bowls encompass me. Strong bowls of Basham surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. 
They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. And their minds are witnessing it before their very eyes. And God, by His Spirit, is pulling away the ignorance, revealing to them what they're doing. And God is in the process of answering the prayer that the Lord Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what's being done here. They don't know what they're doing here. They don't know what they do. I want you to understand something, by the way. The Lord Jesus is not quoting this opening line of this psalm in order to tick off some prophecy box. He's not simply directing their minds to a relevant portion of Scripture. R.C.H. Linsky puts it this way, quote, The omniscient spirit of prophecy alone could have placed at the head of this psalm that supreme cry of agony on the cross, for it is not due to the fact that David wrote this line that Christ made it his cry on the cross, but because Christ would thus cry out on the cross that David, the prophet, wrote it. He's prophesying what Christ would say, what Christ would cry out in dereliction in that moment. These words of Jesus set out a truth to us so that we may know what is happening there on the cross and our part in it, so that we might know who he is and what he is suffering and so we would know our sin and so that those who are surrounding that cross may know their part in what's taking place and their sin in what's taking place. But also the psalm says God will vindicate the one who's suffering here and God will raise him up to glory and God will return him to give praise among the congregation and God will and God will and that's part of the prophecy as well. Let me just for a moment pause here and let's consider what is happening on the cross. I thought about that this morning. You know, when you're learning homiletics or how to preach, you're basically told that you haven't preached a good sermon unless you come to some really specific point of application. But I don't know how to apply this. I don't know how to apply this. There's at some point in time in which we hear God's truth and we silently stand before it and we let the Spirit take it to us as He pleases. What is happening to the Lord Jesus in this moment in which He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's, it's too mysterious for us to probe and understand all these things, but here's some of the things we can say. It's revealed in that darkness that took place for three hours too. Sin is being brought into judgment. God is bringing His judgment upon sin. This darkness alienation from the light is here as Jesus is becoming, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, as the sinless one is becoming sin for us. And as our sins are bearing in in judgment upon him, the Holy Father turns his face from his son. Jesus is fathoming out and reaching to the darkest point of spiritual alienation and hell, and he finds its stopping point. He finds its ground, its final depth. And at the point of final depth, he stops and he cries out in the halt of hell's alienation, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This can be nothing but a place. This can be nothing but a moment of forsaking. Nothing but a moment of alienation. Nothing but a moment of separation. That's, that's what it is above everything else. There is no place where God cannot be. Understand me. There is no place where God cannot be. But there is a place where God cannot be known. 
where God cannot be experienced and felt and touched. And it's in the place of sin, and it's in the place of hell, and it's in the place of rebellion. Jesus is there. Individuals are at times perplexed by their own suffering. They're perplexed by their own difficulty, what they're going through. They see the awfulness and the violence of sin that falls upon the earth, that gathers them up and sweeps them away. They feel their moments of forsaking. They cry out in the same way. The Lord Jesus is in that moment in a depth that we'll never know and never experience, hopefully never experience. He's experiencing for us. The wonderful truth we'll see is that in the midst of it, Jesus cries out and God hears his cry. And there's a promise in that. In the midst of your despair, in the midst of your forsaking, God could hear your cry still. And although you don't experience him and feel him and you don't know where God is, God is there. And God can answer. All through his earthly journey, the Lord Jesus spoke to give answers to the life to all those around him. He was the one who was providing the answers, the insight to the life as they were seeing and experiencing it. And yet in this moment, he asked a question himself that cannot be answered. It's not meant to be answered. It's simply meant to express the deep, profound anguish that he's undergoing. Before we sign off for this broadcast, I want to remind you of a ministry website that we've developed. It is testyourtestimony.com. Our concern is that there are many in our churches who do not have a true born-again relationship with Jesus Christ and so face the prospect of his rejection at the judgment seat in the last day. Our pity for these has made us develop the site testyourtestimony.com in order to apply the command of 2 Corinthians 13.5 to test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. For now, I look forward to our next time partaking together of the bread of life. Till then, may God bless you.